Hey everyone, Michael here. I want to take a quick moment for an editorial comment before we get to this week's show. On the last episode, we covered a story from Bloomberg about China implanting hardware hacking devices into motherboards for servers. Since that article came out, there's been a lot of pushback from the organizations named Amazon, Apple, and others. And there's been a few articles that raise some doubts about the veracity of the original Bloomberg article. I'm linking to an article in Forbes called Doubts Swirl About Bloomberg's China Chip Hack Report. This doesn't mean the original article was false or implausible, but it may be. And because of that, I felt like I should add this disclaimer and warning about the coverage we had on episode 98. Sorry about that. Now, let's get on to some Python-focused topics on this episode with Brian. Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 99, recorded October 10th, 2018. I'm Michael Kennedy. I'm Brian Aiken. Brian, we're coming up really close on episode 100. Yeah, one more. This is 99. Wow. Yeah, we're going to have to do something cool for that one. But for now, I think it is super cool that DigitalOcean is sponsoring the show, not just for today, but for the rest of the year. That is very cool. Yeah, thank you, DigitalOcean. Check them out at pythonbytes.fm slash DigitalOcean. Get $100 credit for new users. I think I had said this before as a joke to you, and you didn't necessarily agree with it, but your your first item here may may belial some agreement that if you have a problem and you solve it with a regular expression, you now have two problems. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, definitely. We think code, at least you have two things to support. Yeah, that's right. But you've run across some library that's actually really awesome for like simple what you might think of as regex problems. I got this from a tweet from uh, Kenneth Reitz. He's like said, oh yeah, everybody, um, by the way, parse is a thing uh, or something like that. Parse is a library that the tagline is it's the opposite of format. So um, in the general sense of it, there's a bunch of things you can do. You can you can parse strings, you can search inside strings, you can find all the element patterns or whatever from a string. But you give it you give it both the the string that you're searching, and then also a instead of a regular expression for what to search for, basically the same string but with parts of it replaced with uh, the curly braces or something like that to say, if I were to have printed it with format using this string, I would have gotten this output and reversed that out. And then you can get the results out to see all the stuff. That's awesome. So you could say like, this is episode curly curly of Python bytes, and then you could actually parse it. And that little curly curly would say, give you the number. Well, I guess the first example would give you a string and you could put a colon D and it would actually give you an integer 99. Yeah. Definitely. That is cool. It has some like cool things too, because if you were going to do that and pass in elements of a dictionary, you can have this thing return basically things that look like dictionaries with named elements and both positional elements and named elements. And it's pretty neat. And I was playing with it like the uh, the for each so, or the find all. So you can you put that in a loop to say like, for all the elements in, and I gave it a big file, finding a whole bunch of colon or a CSV file or something uh, and pulling out elements. And it works really good. And the thing I like about it is it's more readable than a regular expression. So yeah, for sure. If you've got something, something simple like that, that you've got multiple people that have to be able to support it. I think this is a good choice. Yeah. I love it. It's a really cool example. And you can tell that it's probably written by somebody who understands regex well under the covers, but you don't have to think about it because it has like a compiled mode and things like that, which regex often do. Yeah. And you can pass in a pattern apparently, but um, 
but if you're going to figure out patterns, then why not just use regex? So, hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, quite cool. Anyway. I like it. I'm going to uh, see if I can use it for next time I need something like this. So, this next one I want to talk about has to do with GUIs. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, we've covered that a few times. I think we have. So, this one is called the F-Man build system, and it comes from the project, which is like a dual pane file explorer for Windows and, and Mac and so on from Michael Herman. So it's a pretty cool project, but I'm not interested so much in covering the desktop app that he built per se, but the tool to build it. So the F-Man build system, right? So what it lets you do is it lets you create GUI apps for Windows, Mac, and Linux, as in here is my .app file or my .exe, go click it. In fact, it gives you an installer, right? And it like a proper installer for Windows, one of those, you know, drag here and has like the applications folder for a .app file, disk image, and Mac OS. I mean, it's a, this is nice. Wow, that's kind of like one of the missing pieces that we've had for packaging and, and sending out things. It really is, right? It's, it's quite cool. So like I said, Windows, Mac, and Linux works really well. It's what he uses for his project. It's open source, so you can use it for free on open source projects. It's licensed under the GPL for commercial stuff, so you can buy basically buy a license for it. Now, if you're using Qt, you also have to buy a license for Qt, and that's uh, kind of a complicated story. Looking to figure out a little bit more about that, honestly, I don't really know the full story there. It's sort of, I got this commercial side and this open source side, but at least if you're doing open source stuff, I think it's a really cool option. Yeah, I like that. Even the idea of uh, being able to that matching the model, similar model as what Qt's model is, is a uh, is a decent idea. Yeah, and if you're the point is to package Qt apps, you know, it's almost probably unavoidable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I also like I got to give a shout out to Michael Herman. I don't. It's not trivial to say take a piece of your project and pull it off as he did with the build system, so that it can be usable on other. For other people, that's yeah, pretty cool. absolutely. So, so, JSON, not a whole lot of validation there, is there? <laughs> well, I think there. <laughs> I think there's a lot of ways to to validate JSON, but um, I don't know if everybody does. I don't think I've ever, in all the times where I've used a JSON to talk with different parts of a, an application, I, I usually just kind of assume it's all working right. Yeah, for sure. But there are validators out there, and this one, the one I want to cover is is uh, has been recommended by a few people. It's um the documentation is a little light, so I think uh, it's called Fast JSON Schema. But the name is descriptive. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'm not sure what the so one of the articles that I'm going to link to is got four different libraries, including Fast JSON Schema, and I'm not sure what they were validating. It's like way faster than everything else. So JSON Schema takes five seconds. JSON Spec takes seven, and then. His was uh, the fast JSON schema, 250 milliseconds. And I, I'm not sure how big of a data set this is to have anything take five seconds or seven seconds, but... Um, yeah, it must be the same size, one would hope, you know? Yeah, it's a compiling scheme. So the kind of the scheme is, um, it's a pretty simple um, interface. I think, like I said, the documentation is a little slim, but you describe a schema in terms of what the, the types of each each element is supposed to be like. And I think there's some optional keywords and stuff like that you can throw in there. And then you compile it. Um, you compile that into your own validator. So this is a, is a like we were talking about with regex, uh, you could compile it so that it runs faster. And that's what this does. It just um, comes up, you 
compile your own validator and then you can use that to um to validate any any strings that you want yeah so. it's cool yeah so json schema is a separate specification and you can even learn and learn about it json dash schema.org that allows you to create a secondary json file that is the type system for the original data exchange right so if i have like an address I could say, okay, here my schema is, this is an object, it has properties like post office box and extended address, those are strings, and so on. You can even have uh, like dependencies and stuff like so the post office box must be a valid street address, which is defined, you know, elsewhere. So this is pretty cool. You take those, those files, you feed it to this validator, and it'll take any thing you get back from say a web service or something and say yeah this is valid or not and th- this project's been around for a while but the uh, the big news lately is that there's multiple drafts of this json schema and the tool we're talking about covers drafts four six and seven right which is pretty nice cool yeah very cool so there was other ones and they are apparently kind of stale didn't cover the latest drafts and things so nice nice find and it's way way faster now before we get to the next one i want to tell you about a cool feature at DigitalOcean. so at DigitalOcean. You can, of course, log in and say, create me what they call a droplet, a new virtual machine, or various other things, load balancers, firewalls, and so on. And it'll spin up your machine, and off you go. And you get some choices, like various versions of Ubuntu and other stuff. But what you can do, if you'd like, is you can create your own local virtual machine, whatever you want, some kind of Linux, as long as you can install a few dependencies that it needs to interact with the DigitalOcean infrastructure, and upload that. And from then on, you can just click a button and say, create me my super special private server, as many as you want, with their API or whatever. Very cool. Definitely. Yeah, pretty cool. So if you want more control over how your virtual machines get created and, and what they even look like, check them out at pythonbytes.fm slash digitalocean. New users get $100 credit, and they've got a bunch of cool stuff that you can do with, with all their infrastructure. Speaking of infrastructure, a lot of people use IPython these days in the whole data science space, right? Yeah, very big. And I, people might be tired of me going on and on about async. <laughs> I know some I know some people are not a fan, but it is just so powerful. And when it's used at the right time, very, very nice. But until recently, IPython was a thing that you put Python code into. And async was a thing that you did in files, you know, applications that that uh, executed Python code, but they didn't really go together. Yeah, I'm still trying to get my head around them going together, but yeah. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. If I have an async library that I want to use, basically the only way to use it in IPython previously, I believe, was to spin up all the infrastructure to sort of host the async loop yourself, which is like five or six lines to just call the function. So now in IPython, you can just say, await. Oh, give it a function and it just runs it automatically. Oh, okay. That's cool. So that's, yeah. So IPython 7 is out. And one of the big features that it has is the interactive shell now uh, supports async and await, which is really cool. Yeah, that's very neat. Hmm. Yeah. So this one came to us from Nick Spirit. Thank you, Nick, for sending it in. And this is written by Matthias Boussinier. And he is the guy who originally cloned the term legacy Python for the world, as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I think, you're, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. He wrote a cool article called Planning an Early Death for Python 2 or something, you know, friendly like that, and talked about referring to it as legacy Python, which I think is great. So he also wrote this, and he works on IPython and, and whatnot quite a bit. Talks about how when IPython dropped support for Python 2, how are they able 
to sort of make these features possible, right? If you want to support these types of things, it was much harder to do so if, you know, you want to use a Python 3.5 feature, but you also want to support Python 2. So it's, it's cool how they talk a lot about that. Yeah, and I also think the open source community is a little, is sort of changing. We um, we had this idea that kind of from, from, I think, other commercial applications that you should support as many platforms as possible or like, your library should support as many versions of Python as possible. Right. If it could support 2.1, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time, there's a the reality that if you only support the more recent versions, you can clean up your code and have it be an easier code base for other developers to work in and, and increase your open source contributions. And I think that's a very real thing. And I think that's one of, the, like, like you said, it's one of the things that they probably addressed with IPython. Yeah, so. it definitely. It sounds like it here when they talked about doing the same thing for Django was we were able to delete a bunch of code and the easiest way to maintain code is to not have it. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it's a great point. And here's another example. A lot of people are using IPython to teach Python and uh, whether or not that there's a debate as to whether or not that's a good thing, but at least now they'll be able to teach uh, async. Yeah, that's a well. good point. Yeah, it's there's a lot of presentations and stuff done there. And now it's nice and easy to call it. Super cool. Yeah. All right, what's the next one you got for us? I have a library called Molten, and Molten is... Is it for studying volcanoes, or what is this? <laughs> it's an API framework. So the link we're going to include has a little uh, video demo on it, but it's... um like a, a rest api framework uh, used similar to like uh, api star and in fact the um kind of the the motivation there's a motivation page that talks about how api star is kind of awesome but there's some of the implementation like a hook model for middleware that this author didn't quite like so they took inspiration from api star and uh, rocket which is a, a rust framework and uh tried to make this one and it's a uh, python 3 only because uh they're they're leveraging type hints and type annotation yeah in a really nice way it's really clean looking there's a it, you can implement a an api fairly quickly but there's also built in uh speaking of schema validation uh, there is schema validation built into into this system so that you you know the code that you're writing to deal with requests or the coming in they're already going to be valid before it even hits you. So um, you won't be hit with uh, invalid data, which is pretty cool. That, yeah, there's a lot of cool validation. So for example, the hello hello world type method for a web view method is just like def hello and then name colon stir age colon int. And it actually, you know, grabs the value, say out of the URL or somewhere, puts it in there, converts it to an integer and passes it. And you don't have to figure out, you know, how do I go get that from the, the route match data or other weird data sources like that. So that's really cool. And then they take it farther. You say, okay, well, you could have like a string and an integer in the function. Or if you've got something more interesting, you could define an actual class that has a little decorator. It says a schema, like it has an ID that's an optional int, that it has a description that has a status that can be you know certain values and has default values all sorts of cool stuff and then you can just say this web method takes this like they have a to-do example as a class right it takes a to-do item and it automatically pulls that out does the validation and checking yeah i'm i'm loving this this is great yeah and also you can define the schema on the output as well to make sure that you're complying i think it's kind of neat and the other there's a couple other neat features of it it's um 
or at least features of it, whether or not you like it. The middleware is a, a functional programming-based middleware. And all, a lot of the different pieces, like if you want to have a, a database management, they're all set up to allow them to be uh, isolated easily. So using dependency injection, it's a thing, and it allows you to sort of test your different components by themselves and swap out new ones. So. It's fun. Yeah, it looks really cool. I'm, you know, well done on that project, you guys. I I think it looks like something if I was building an API, I might be pretty excited about using. Yeah. So I want to round out this episode with something a little fluffy but nice to just remind everybody why we're here and why we're why we use the tools and the technology that we do. So this last one is called a Python love letter. <laughs> well, I love Python. <laughs> Yeah, I love it too. So this was actually a thing posted to a Reddit thread by a guy who's pretty new to Python. And he posted, it said, dear Python, where have you been all my life? Right. And, and the thing, the, the thing he posted was pretty interesting, but also the comments, right? There are many, many comments and just all the people either agreeing or disagreeing or whatever. So the guy says, look, I'm not a developer, but I've been teaming with programming for, um, you know, with basic and Perl and whatnot. And for some reason he decided, you know, he's, he's done with shell scripts. So we've heard that before, right? And yeah. He's going to go write some Python. And he said, look, I went and I learned Python. And no, I didn't go from zero to production in a day. But if my coworkers will leave me alone, I might be in production tomorrow. <laughs> Which is, you know, I think that's just, like kind of sums up a lot of what happens yeah, in the Python space. That's neat. Just kind of a fun story. Yeah, it's definitely a fun story. A couple of the comments that came up that I thought were interesting were, one person said, uh, welcome to the club. I came up on C++. My job highly trained me in C and assembly and every project I touch. Can't we do 90% of this, 95% of this in Python? And we do, <laughs> right? We don't, need, we don't need inline assembly most of the time. Another person said, I have a chip on my shoulder. I want to do things the hard way and understand them. So I want C++ because that's real programming. Dang it. <laughs> and, but later, after suffering a lot, I kind of learned that, you know, doing things smarter was way better than doing the hard way and whatnot. So uh, he loves, you know, sort of found his way to Python. Uh, I guess one other person said, I felt exactly the same way. I decided to learn it. What a breath of fresh air. Sadly, there are a few things in my life that make me feel like this. Python and Bitcoin give me the same levels of uh, enjoyment. I've used Java, Groovy, Scala, Objective-C, C, C++, etc. And nothing feels as good as Python does. So definitely, definitely cool. And then this person, this is what was notable to me, Brian, <laughs> closed out his comment is, Hell, my next two planned tattoos are Bitcoin and Python logos on my wrists. Way to go. Okay. Man. That's some commitment. <laughs> the Python, fine, but you're probably going to regret the Bitcoin one. Uh, is there an abstract cryptocurrency <laughs> that is going to encapsulate like whatever comes next? Yeah. I agree. I agree. Anyway, I thought that was fun and, and it just reminds us you know, what a great community and uh, ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. I also just wanted to say assembly code, real man program in bits. <laughs> That's right, zero one one zero, baby. So, <laughs> anyway. All right, so that's for our official items. But I see you have uh, one little extra one here that will also bring fun, excitement, and joy to any presentation if you're just sitting down with a coworker or at, even at like a meetup, right? Yeah, and it's I uh, Oliver Bestwalter uh, got me in, excited about this, and it's Power Mode, and uh, I'm linking to something called Power Mode Two, which is a plugin for. PyCharm, but there's um, there's power modes in a couple different. Uh, in it started in Atom, I think, and and 
people have probably done it other places. It just makes programming more fun. <laughs> this is funny. You you introduced this to me. So let me just sort of give people a, <laughs> a little description. So imagine as you start typing, it's kind of like a bit like a comic book. Like the, the faster you type, the more excited your editor gets. If you copy and like duplicate a method, like a big bam, pow, thing will pop out. Sparks shoot off of your cursor. At, the faster you type, the more intense it gets. Yeah, it's super, super productive and awesome. <laughs> I've left it. I've, I've turned off the shaking screen, which is a little uh, unsettling to me, and the flames. But the rest of it, the sparks flying and everything like that, I, I've been using it for like a week or You a leave week it and on half. all the time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> because I really like it when I copy and paste and it goes bam. I know. Oh, bam, pow. It's, it's nice. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, Power Mode, if you're using PyCharm, is definitely fun to check out. And got the link in the show notes. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, that's a fun one to close it out for sure. All right. Thanks, Brian. And uh, chat with you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, chat with you next time. Bye, everyone. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. And get the full show notes at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item you want featured, just visit pythonbytes.fm and send it our way. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.